Well, good morning, Terra Nova. So good to be here. September really always feels like me, uh, to me, like it's the start of the new year, not really January. I know we have these Roman God starting points in the middle of winter, but if you have kids, this is where you've begun to start your year again. It was back to school shopping and getting the kids off the school. Uh, for a lot of people in the work world, their financial budgets or even the time they work, if you're in education, will work on that September schedule. So many new things. Uh, here at church, new sermon series, new t-shirts for volunteers. So, you know, if you were looking for a reason to volunteer, you may find Envy promoting some of that today. It's a beautiful t-shirt designed by Iron Iron. Um, there's also a new thing happening with us at Saratoga. This evening at Temple Baptist Church at 5.30, the second site of Terra Nova, something we've prayed about, planned, given for for years, will actually begin its core launch this evening. So that, that's pretty exciting. I'm so glad what God is doing here. It's something a lot of people have given a lot of time for, and we'll talk more about that later during the sermon. The, the series is called Ancient Upgrade. It's a term that we've thrown around before Terra even started. And really what I was trying to get at is this tension. How does the church call to these ancient beliefs even eternal ones that represent and reflect God, do that in a culture that is a culture of rapid change. We've never lived in a time of such fast change as the time you and I occupy. Uh, up until the Industrial Revolution, things moved around at about 22 miles an hour. That's what chariots and ships could get those ideas and people around. And it's ideas and people bumping into each other that changes the culture that we live in. And the church is clearly called to be both. It's called to incarnate. It's called to connect to its culture and its time. And it's called to anchor, to moor itself deeply, to root itself in Christ and his truths. And so many churches have gotten shipwrecked by trying to balance those and overdoing it on one end or the other. They've tried so hard to connect with everyone that the truth that makes it uncomfortable, they'll jettison or they'll believe the truth so fervently, but miss that truth is always supposed to be spoken along with grace in the incarnation. And so they'll end up just building a bunker and telling each other the truths that we already know. This series is, is to help us get to a place where we can understand what are those pieces that we have to anchor into forever or we've lost what Christianity is, we've lost the direction our Christ gave us. And how do we do that? as churches that are commissioned, called, and sent to be on Jesus' mission in this day and age. Here's what the roadmap will look like today. We're going to talk about church planting a little bit in the beginning. And then the biblical basis for church planting. Finally, moving into the calling of the church and where in scriptures we are called multiple times and to what we are called. And then we'll close our time together with some prayer for those who are going to be serving the Lord and under Tara's banner up in Saratoga Springs. So if you have a Bible, turn to the last page of the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't, put your hand up. Someone will bring you a Bible. And I'll be reading today from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. First book of the New Testament, the first Gospel, is the one according to Matthew. Once you find that, turn all the way to the end, and you will have that passage, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, 
They worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for what you give us. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, and we're grateful. It'd be my prayer for myself and others here that you would expand the boundaries of our hearts. Allow us to understand more of the height and depth and breadth of the love that you pour into us. It's, it's an ending, an exhaustible source as you pour love into us through the Holy Spirit. And help us to understand that we as the joyful recipients are equally joyfully indebted to share this love. God, we pray in our time today that you would both inform us and inspire us to live according to your kingdom in our day. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his greater glory. Amen. So we, we want to talk about church planting as one of the most important ancient things in the New Testament, but also upgraded things in the modern world. Church planting is one of those things that's incredibly popular right now. There are more books being written about it than I've ever seen in my life, perhaps, than have ever been written and published in English or in church planting right now. There are conferences, there are seminaries who've created degrees in the last five years for church planting. If we went back only 15 years, you would find a handful of books on church planting. It really wasn't something that people were, were signing up to do or being instructed to do. And it's caused some conflict. Even though church planting has gone on from the very first church in Jerusalem to today, when it became reintroduced and it energized people in North America, so, some people had objections to it. I, I find there are three responses that people have to church planting. Generally, there may be a few outliers who fit somewhere else, but you'll probably find yourself in one of these three responses. The, the first common response to church planting, and people have those three, is church planting doesn't work. When people say this, I, I really think they're caught in some things subjectively that had happened to them, because the statistics that we'll see later won't bear this out. A, a lot of times it has to do with a sense of protectionism. It'll hurt our church if we plant another church. If we take resources and people out of this, we might lose something of this. A couple problems. One is the possessive on the church. It's not our church, it's Jesus' church. Secondly, we, we don't really lose when that happens. Think of the biblical instructions Jesus gave uh, about your life, and it's plural as well. Uh, if a kernel of wheat doesn't die and drop into the ground, it, it doesn't produce all the fruit it's supposed to do. And Jesus says, that's, that's like us. You, you have to be able to count certain things as dead and lay them aside in order to see certain things grow and fruit. It, it's a bias towards risk-taking for the kingdom. Jesus said, those who seek to save their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives for my sake and the sake of the gospel will end up saving it. Those who would say, man, church planting is really going to hurt us, I think they're missing who's in charge of the church, and they're missing the calling that is upon us. For some people, it's a matter of history. They saw a bad church plant. 
It's like the person who, who went through a bad breakup and never wants to date again, or the person who's divorced and says marriage doesn't work. What they mean is this didn't work. And there were church plants that weren't well thought out, prepared, that sometimes have cost people a lot of pain. Sometimes it's nothing more than sentimentality. We like what we get used to. We've always met here. It's always been this way. We know the space. We know how to get here. Something new, well, that's disturbing. Now I actually have to learn something in my life again, and I don't really want to do that. The, the second group of people are people who are excited and supportive of church planting, but that's really where it stops. There, there isn't a lot of depth always. They've caught the buzz. They recognize there are a lot of blogs, books, and people out there talking about church planting. They're excited in the abstract about church planting. We should do church planting, and they talk a lot about it, but really it's not a preparedness to do that. Sometimes it's just a, a love for the novel. As much as one side will be held back by the sentimental, there's a group who will just rush ahead to something new without really carefully thinking about that. The, the third group, and, and this is where I would love for all of us to be able to be, are those who are informed and engaged in what's going on so that they can plant churches to help impact the world for the kingdom of God. That's where Terra Nova wants to be. We want to be people who are planting churches that leave a legacy, that make an impact now, that, that we're actually reaching where people aren't reached by the gospel. The whole reason we planted in downtown Troy is because we didn't feel there were growing strong churches here. There, there are definitely faithful churches in downtown Troy, but church plants do something different. They, they change things. And so Tara is a church that is committed to church planting. We've, we've always been about church planting. Why is Tara about church planting? Well, need might be enough of a reason to sell some people on church planting. Between 50 and 75 U.S. churches every single year will close their doors and never open up again. More than 80%, 8 out of 10 churches in the United States, have reached their plateau or are shrinking. It's the way it's going according to the Barner Research Institute. In the United States, there are over 200 million unchurched people, which makes us the third largest mission field out there as a country. Since 1991, the number of adults in the U.S. who do not attend church has doubled. A little over a decade, and the shift is happening strongly. 77% of Americans, by their own admission, will say we, we don't have a consistent connection to a local church. There's a need out there that says... we. We had better be about the business. If we're Christians in North America and we're responsible for sharing this in our country, we'd better be planting churches. For some, the reason wouldn't be need, but, but pragmatics and effectiveness. The best way to reach people for Christ in North America right now is, is not parachurch ministries. It's not established churches. It's not evangelistic crusades. Statistically, not even close. The best way to reach people in America at this time is church planting. Church planting sort of calls new people very well to new things. It lets you walk into a church and know, in some sense, everybody's new. I don't have to feel like I've walked into someone else's family reunion and everyone knows what's going on here except me. 
You get into a new church, you, you, you can be part of it. I recently watched Ken Burns' documentary on the West, and one of the things that they kept going back to in the American West was people had a chance to reinvent themselves. They could go start. They could be a part of a town that didn't exist, and they could leave behind something that maybe didn't fit them. And a lot of people who you looked at their lives in the first section in the East beforehand, they never did anything like you saw them succeed at in the West. Church planting often calls people who like the new. It reaches new people groups better. So let's imagine you're in a suburb outside of the Capital District that 30 years ago was mainly farm fields. Probably a good number of people live near or in places that are like that. 30 years ago, those, those farmers might have gone to the, the three or four local churches that had been there for 100 years. And then slowly you got different people. They, they came from different places educationally. They had different income. They lived differently. It was a more modern crowd who began to take over these farm fields and just build houses there. Probably not going to end up in that 100, 150-year-old church. It's not their church. They don't know the history. They don't know the name of the person who donated those pews. But start a new church there. Those residents will likely feel like it, it's theirs and not something else. Now, God uses all of these churches, the, the older rural church, the megachurch, all of these. I, I'm trying to say in addition to the existing, we have to be planted, not, not replacing. For some of you, you'll be swayed by this. To be true to the Great Commission that we read this morning, we have to plant churches. Maybe you're like me. For years, I thought of the Great Commission as a personal call. It's like just me and Jesus having a one-on-one -on -one together. It's the memo from him. You need to go out and make disciples. I realize this is not a one-on-one -on -one call that's being presented in the Great Commission. First of all, he had a group of disciples there. Many who believed and some who doubted. So he's got the church. He's got us on our good days and bad days. He's not talking to one-on-one. -on -one. He's talking to us on the days when we're here on Sunday and we are just enraptured with worship. We feel closer to God than we've ever felt. He's talking to us on the days where we're here and you feel like I showed up, but I don't feel like God's talked to me or I've talked to him in a week or more. He's talking to those people who doubt it as well. But he's talking to them as a community of believers. And he says, make disciples and baptize them. We've seen baptisms here at Terra multiple times over the years. Baptism is an entry point to the Christian community. What Jesus is talking about is not just individuals going around and telling people about him. That, that's always part of Christianity. But what he's talking about are communities that are planted that will change the way this world functions. The Great Commission is a call to plant Christian communities. It's a church planting call. And, and newer churches seem to uh, interact with the Great Commission. They seem to see it effective better than older churches. Some numbers. One denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, studied churches that were under 10 years old and over 10 years old. And what they found was this. For every 100 members in the church that was over 10 years old, they baptized about two people every year. In the churches under 10 years old, they, they baptized about 11 people every year. You might say, okay, that's Southern Baptist. That's a very unique culture. Okay? Assemblies of God did the same study. They found churches under 10 years baptized four times as many people as churches over 10 years old. A cross-denominational study found the number six to eight times more in churches under 10 years. See, when we build something new, we're excited. 
Everyone can be a part of it. They're part of the newness. And then after a while, we can fall into a very deceptive lull, even in the church, that we figured it out. We can manage what we're doing. We know the people. We know the program. We can take care of ourselves. And we've distanced ourselves from the mission that Jesus has called us to, to be people who are making disciples and baptizing them. That's part of the fruit of following after the Great Commission. We we don't just want to be practical. We want to be very biblical. That's that ancient piece. Tim Keller said this about church planting and the Great Commission. Anyone who has done the research comparing crusades, parachurch ministries, and church planting, this is not a controversial statement. It's a slam dunk. Church planting is the most effective means of fulfilling the Great Commission. The, The Bible presents strategy and practice in the Great Commission and in the lives of those who are in church planting. The Bible presents church planting. All of the times that it shows Jesus getting his disciples ready, what he's getting them ready for is to go out and start communities. Look at the rest of the New Testament. It centers on this one great missionary, St. Paul. And if you look at Paul's life, here's what you find. He's committed to planting churches. He he travels all over the Mediterranean world, and he has a particular strategy. He he tends to end up in the big influential cities of an area. So, So when he's in Asia Minor, he plants a church in Ephesus. When he's in Macedonia, he plants a church in Philippi, its capital. When he's in Achaia, he plants in Corinth, its capital. And then he leaves these areas. His strategy is you throw the rock in the water and it's going to make a ripple. Make sure you throw it in the big pond. And he goes to these cities, plants churches, but he doesn't just walk away. He leaves established leaders there. Here's what he says in a command to Titus. He'll say, in Titus 1.5, this is why I left Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So it wasn't just plant in the city and we're done. It's plant in a city and let that have an effect of bringing more churches, more sites, more locations in other areas of need. This was a church multiplication movement, not a church just meant to satisfy those who found church. Christianity always comes with this very strong, pass it along commandment. But, but it's about community. How, how else do we really see Christianity? I don't know about you. I don't want people just looking at me as their individual source for Christianity. This would be very discouraging for all of North America, if not the world. But when we're living in community, people can see something else. And I've heard people say this about us many times. I really like these people. They're normal, which is always the nice surprise that people think Christians are all abnormal at the time, so it's very important that we're doing that. People will say they're very welcoming. I'll ask people, how'd you get here? A friend invited me. Really? It was that simple? Yeah, there are people who you know who are just waiting to be invited to be a part of this, and and we're called to do those things. We're a movement that is on a mission. It's true that buildings can assist with that, websites, books, but we've always moved as people called together. It's the most important thing the church can do to be obedient and in unity. We're called as people move together. That's hard. We have to link arms with people. We have to get in step. We have to figure out how that works. We sometimes have to be with people we don't agree with on everything. That's okay. That's worked before. It's, it's called a family. That's worked out many, many times before. But, but here, are, here are the commissions that Jesus gives us, that he, that he calls multiple times in the New Testament 
to tell us multiple things that are important. The four commissions in the Bible. The first, John 20, 21. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Consider that for a minute. Jesus says doing the will of the Father is like bread to me. Jesus is willing to let go of the glory and comfort and community of the Trinity in all eternity in heaven to take on human flesh, be born in a backwater town, be insulted, be murdered, and rise from the dead because he was following after what the Father had sent him to do. The Father had sent him to redeem a people, people like us, people who were lost, people who didn't know that there was a God to be lost from, that there was a God who loved them enough to save them. And Jesus says, by the way, now that you understand how I've been sent, that's how the Father is sending you. There aren't super Christians who get called to do the work of mission. Every Christian is called to do the work of mission. Second calling, we read it today, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It's a calling of strategy and practice. It's not just enough to say, hey, you need to pray the prayer, you need to follow certain rituals, you need to become a Christian. We're discipling people. There's a constant call to help people fulfill more of what Jesus has commanded them. And there's a constant call for us to be able to fulfill that more and more. Most of the letters in the New Testament, somewhere in there will say grow. Grow in grace and peace. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow is part of what we're called to do, and we need each other to be able to do that, and we build communities baptizing people. Gospel of Luke presents us with a calling about content, Luke 24. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of this. He tells us this is orthodoxy. It's as it was written in the Bible. Jesus looks at the Bible as authoritative, as it is written. And the Bible is only effectively and rightly used when it's used to point to Jesus. Why was it written? It's written to show that Jesus is the Christ, the one who would die for the forgiveness of sins and rise to show that he fully could meet that claim. And we're supposed to repent of those sins and, and turn and follow him. That's the message of Christianity that can't be lost in our callings. The fourth calling, equally important to the one on mission, the one on strategy and practice, and the one on orthodoxy, is one of geography in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives a geographic calling to church planting. We should always be thinking about what's on the next horizon, not just contented with what we see. It's also a kingdom practice to, to look at church planting is not to look at a church that's new that's going to take from an existing church. Truthfully, there are shared benefits. When a church plants that maybe is looking at things differently than a very effective church that's 15 or 20 or 100 years old, there's a change. Some churches who at first were skeptical about that may start to adopt some of those changes, like contemporary music or preaching books of the Bible for long periods of time. You, you'll see those changes start to happen. It's, it's like the tide coming in. It raises all the boats that are docked there, not just one or two. 
Church planting has a renewing and revitalizing effect on the established church. We've got to take time to celebrate a church that's really helping us with this, and, and I want to make sure we know it and get this history right. There are, there are multiple groups giving to us and supporting us. They've been very generous. But there's one church in particular that's doing something very different than most churches will do for a church plant that isn't, quote, theirs. But it, it made this church think kingdom-minded to see a church plant. So I received a call from Pastor Matt Eaches at Temple Baptist Church, and he said, I heard you're planting in Saratoga. Can we talk? My, my thought was, this is not a good moment. This is going to be when I sit down with a pastor who is either being territorial, why are you planting near us, or denominational, how, how come you're not flying our flag and planting near us? And I was all prepped. I had all the answers for those. I was ready to be patient, and I had my very calm voice on that my kids don't like when I say, well, now we... And they, they, they always pull the, okay, Buddha, settle down, and, and I move on. So I was all set to be calm and grounded, and, and he says, so you're planting in Saratoga. Yes, we are. You know, the calm voice is out. When are you plan doing that? We'll have a core launch in September. And I'm just toning everything down. He goes, well, how do I end up supporting that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. I wasn't ready for that one. The calm's out the window. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, that's possible. You could support this. Great, well, we, want, we have money and we want to support this. Okay, now, now I'm ready to leave happily. And he said, well, I, I wonder if we could support in other ways. That's possible too. Tell me about that. And he said, well, we'd, we'd like to tell our people about this church plan and see if anyone wants to go because it's so near. And I know some of our people really like Terra Nova, but the Troy one's too far. So why don't I just invite people to go? What a stellar idea. So he, he began doing that and particularly inviting people who were leaders in his church. And then he said, where, where are you guys doing this core launch? I said, well, we're not sure yet. We have this site that we're going to launch at in January at First Baptist in Saratoga Springs downtown, but right now I'm not sure. He said, well, use our youth facility. It's brand new. It's, it's just great. The sound's great. The stage great. The light's great. It's a, it's a whole building. Just come in and use that. Okay. See, this is the kingdom practice that church planting can really bring in people. What Matt saw, what I see, what I think all of us see is, this is bigger than you, me, Terra Nova, Acts 29. Any flag we want to fly is going to be small and lower than the one that says, Jesus Christ is on mission serving the Father to win this planet to himself, to call people to him in repentance and obedience. And it just brings about a change. It gets us off this, this, this image, this illusion, this mirage that says, we're not all together. We're not one church. Watch out for those other guys. It can really pull us together. If you think of the kingdom of God instead of parochially, what will create wins for the kingdom of God. And that's what we want. So what does church planting look like at Terra Nova? Let me close up by putting together some of these particulars. If church planting is a biblical ministry, if church planting is commanded by Jesus and is part of our calling, then every church should have a church planting ministry. If we understand what the Bible's calling us to, that this is the big way that the church moves and grows, we shouldn't just have children's ministry, but we should. We shouldn't just have worship and preaching ministries, we should. We should also have a church planning ministry. Here's the good news. From day one at Terra Nova, we've been putting aside 10% of our funds for church planting. You guys have known, you've seen the videos, some of you have even driven up to see churches that we're supporting in, in Sherbrooke, Quebec, or, or over in Rochester. We, we just had Derek Lewandowski, who we're going to be supporting at his church, come and speak with us. We, we've done this very intentionally. We're part of a group called Acts 29 Network, multiple denominations, working coast to coast and overseas, 
And that group is working with us, and we're part of them. I serve as their Northeast director to, to see church planting change. I mean, how effective, only God knows for sure, but where we began in 2005, six with one church in the Northeast, there's now over 30 that this organization has worked together to kind of coach, fund, plant, support, and, and that's been great. In, in our sense of doing this, biblically and, and intelligently, we want to look geographically too. We, we want to be the people who can say, what's our Jerusalem? Well, that's the capital district. So we're, we're definitely planting, and the plan has always been, if you took the north, south, east, west of the capital district and put a church like Terra Nova in each of those quadrants, in, in Rensselaer County here in Troy, and in Albany County in Albany, Schenectady County and Saratoga County, it's sort of always been the goal. We've looked at Albany, Schenectady, Detroit, Saratoga. We've looked at New England. I, I want to keep the, the geographic list short because I start to feel like Howard Dean whenever I start to list too many points of geography in a row. I want to like yell at the end and it's no good for anybody. But we, we've had a strategic church planting mindset to do this from, from the very beginning. And now we're actually seeing this. It's an exciting time. It's a whole separate calling that we're fulfilling. Our area, Albany, is the fourth most unchurched city in the United States. Rensselaer County, 1% evangelical. We're really serving a needy area. And that's our strategy. Troy was just the first child. Saratoga is the second. Which, I don't know, everyone tells you two is the same as one, and I don't really think it is. But, but we have a lot of pieces already in place, just like when you have the kid, and you already have the furniture, you already have the room, you have the bottles, you know certain things. We're, we're planting that way. We're not just saying, go plant, we'll put a picture of you up and pray for you. We're saying, we're connected to this. We're us. Our people are going, the elders are going to be the same, our money is going to this thing. We want this to happen. We're one church, sharing the things that keep us interdependent, sharing leadership, we're, we're sharing the same sermon schedules, we're, we're sharing the same small group. Remember, we're one church in multiple locations. The locations will seem different. Different people will show up, the, the bands may develop differently, They're, There'll be a unique organic style that develops. One church, multiple locations. Here's the ways you can support that. Time. There are still needs at Saratoga. I talked about this last week. There are opportunities for us to be able to serve temporarily. If you believe these things are important, you're convinced you can do them, and if you pray about them with, with yourself, your family, and realize that you are willing, you are called maybe to take a year temporarily, knowing you're coming back to Troy, and serve Saratoga to help get it started well. If, you, if you'd be willing to be part of that, what, what I refer to from an older church planning group as a SWAT team, spiritual, willing, and temporary. You're just showing up for a time to see that this goes well. Maybe that's what you're going to be committed to. Some of you are going to commit for years up there. Some of you will commit to serving in Troy because spaces have been created as people left to serve Saratoga. Money is always one. 10% of what you give on any given Sunday will always go to church planting. We, we know that, we want that, I think that's great, we got to keep that up. But startup expenses are heavy, just like having that child again. Give your normal tithe, but pray about giving something beyond your normal tithe for the next 30 days, for the month of September. And what we're going to do is anything beyond the normal tithe is going to go 100% to Saratoga Springs, to see that that gets started well. Here's how you can do that. It's very easy. You can jump on the city. You could put it in a separate marked envelope or memo and check here. But if you go on the city, you can do that neatly online. 
There's a giving place, and you can choose from that Saratoga Startup Expenses. That's an online community. There'll be more about that in the announcements. You can go out to the welcome desk, and someone will help you get on the city if you've never been there before. We're only doing it for one month. This is not going to be week after week. I have a big red thermometer up here, and I color in how much we've got. I have no interest in doing that. But for one month, we're asking you to pray about it and give those resources. The money's important, the space is important, but I've come to believe the two most important pieces are the, the Lord, the, the Word of God, the, the Spirit of God, that His Word are the pieces that it doesn't make any sense without. I don't understand pastors and churches who don't believe those things. And the other thing that I've seen is most important are the people. So I, I want us to take some time and pray at this point for Saratoga Springs. Daniel and Leah Williams are the, the couple who's going to be, they're already living up there. Daniel's serving as the lead site pastor up there. This is, this is going to be a lot on him and a lot on his wife. And th this is a person that we need to be supporting in prayer. I can tell you what's in the Bible and what isn't always said plainly. Church planting is really hard. People who are working on those things become a target. Satan, our adversary, does not like new works being started. So we want to support them in prayer as well as financially and with time. So I'm going to have Daniel and Leah come up, and I'm going to ask any elders and elders' wives who are here to come up on stage as well. And we'll commemorate this in prayer. And then I'm going to ask one other thing. If you're here today, and I know a lot of people who are going to be up at Saratoga are already up there setting up and doing things, but if you're here today and planning on being a part of Saratoga's community at Terra, would you stand up, please? We've got a few. Great. So what we want to do is, uh, if you're near those folks, if you would just reach out, put a hand on their shoulder, well, and we're going to pray for Saratoga Springs in general. I'm sorry, what was that, Bill? Okay. I didn't, yeah. Didn't check on that. Leah's not here, in case you didn't notice that. That's what I was just informed of. So we're, we're going to pray. I think Leah is uh, struggling with a little bit of cold, so we're going to pray for her health as well. And uh, struggling with track on the Twin Bridges. So that happens even on a Sunday. But we, we want to remember to pray. And you see three people standing here, but I tell you, there, there are going to be 40 who are going to be up there tonight from here. We want to keep praying for those people, one church, multiple locations. Let, let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, would you hear our prayer now for living rightly on your mission? God, thank you that you've called Daniel. There are, there are many ministries that would have taken him and that he had offers from, Lord. We recognize he's bright and gifted and young and has a lot before him. And we're grateful that you, you've, you've sent him to us to be able to serve Saratoga Springs in this way. God, would you please watch over Leah and Daniel, protect them, guide them in this time. God, would you help us to be a part of that? We, we know you're faithful. Would you help your church, Lord, to be faithful like you and to serve this well? God, thank you that this place isn't the, the terminal destination. We love everything that's happened at Terran Over Troy. We're grateful. But we're grateful for the people who are willing to pioneer and called to pioneer and are going to be part of Saratoga. God, would you please bless these men and women Take, take the risk that you seem to be biased towards when your kingdom is expanded and pour that blessing and calling and power and comfort upon those men and women. Help us here to continue to support, Lord, to be, to be good brothers and sisters who are faithful and connecting and supporting in any way that we can. Lord, I ask most of all that you would be the one who would clearly call that any who are responding are responding to you. 
Father, thank you. We're eager to see what you will have for us. We know eye has not seen and ear heard all the things you've prepared for those who love you. We know you, you love us. We know you love other people who have yet to hear your name. And we ask, Lord, to be a part of the glory that comes as people come to you and this community grows. We ask this in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the Father's name who foreknew all these things. Amen. It is so good for us to be able to do these things and to remember that this is a community call. One of the ways that we do this is through communion. Whereas the band comes up, we'll have a chance to, to settle in and to worship in this way. To be able to walk up and find people standing here holding broken matzah and cups of juice and wine. Something we can take for granted, it gets to be almost just so familiar we can walk by it. To some people, this would make no sense at all. Why are they having a snack and such a small snack in the second part of their church? But for us, that matzah becomes something else to our hearts and minds. It becomes a picture of the body of Christ, the one that was broken on the cross for us, who gave his body as a ransom for many, who shed his blood for the remission of sins. And as each person in this room takes a piece of that body, we recognize the body is the church, that we who carry Christ and his spirit in us are as knit together as the limbs of his body. And we take that and dip it in the grape juice or wine, recognizing that his blood was poured out for the remission of sin. Any sin that you're carrying, any sin that you've committed, you can be confident by what God has said in his word, it's forgivable. The price Jesus paid was enough to cover the things that you seem to be held back for at times. So we're going to pray for the communion elements, and we're going to come up. There'll be people up here. There'll be two songs. Take your time. Find the time to be able to walk up and and celebrate this in worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your call, and we don't ever want to miss the one who has called. We're so grateful for the church, but we don't ever want to miss the one who is the head of the church. And Lord, we come reverently recognizing our sins were upon your son, and he died for us. But we come celebrating, knowing that you rose from the grave. You overcame sin, you overcame death, and you give us cleanness, newness of life, hope, direction, and headship. We bless you, Jesus. We ask that this time, Lord, would just be used to call many to the truth and break the bondage that Satan would have us live in. In Jesus' name and for his glory.